So today I want to talk to you from 1 Kings chapter 20, if you'll turn with me in your Bible. 1 Kings chapter 20. On your smartphone, put in 1KI20. They'll get there. Or I have page 302. David hates it when I say that, but I love it. I don't know why I get such joy from that. <clears throat> I don't know. Praise the Lord. Have you ever felt far away from God? When I was 16, my family had a GMC Safari van. It had the little two doors open, didn't even have the sliding door. Um, it was just a basic van. It was okay. And I learned how to drive on that and on my dad's car. And one night, my parents, uh, my whole family was away for some reason. Uh, they had taken my dad's car somewhere. And I was supposed to go somewhere I don't remember, or I, I don't think I stole the car exactly, but I, I took the car, I used the car, and I remember driving around and having sort of a moment where um, I had grown up in the church, I knew the Lord, I'd seen him move miraculously, I'd seen God do all kind of things, and I knew that he had spoken to me from a young age, I knew his word, uh, but I felt far away from him, and I didn't know fully if... My faith was my faith, or was my parents' faith, or Naomi Smoker praying for me? I don't know. And so I remember driving around in that van that looked something like that one, and crying out to God and just wanting to be close to him. Um, and I remember driving around for a long time and coming home and uh, walking to my house, nobody was home still, and just praying, Lord, I, I want to know you. I want to be close to you. Maybe you've had an experience like that. Maybe you've had a time where you felt far away and you find yourself sort of just driving aimlessly to try to find answers. I think it's common with everybody. And I think things happen like that a lot. We're going to talk about not just being close to God today, but knowing his call on us, knowing his word and the surety of his hand upon us. In 1 Kings chapter 20, we're going to read today a story about Ahab, who's a king. Ahab is a bad guy. He is an evil king. He is a wicked king. He has led the people of Israel into extreme idolatry uh, to the point where they are making sacrifices to other gods. Uh, they're even going to start sacrificing people at some points, which is a, really a mistake. Um, he has allied, allied himself with other nations, which is against the Lord's word and against wisdom that has been brought to him by the prophets and against what God has told him to do. Ahab is a bad dude. He is married a witch, literally a witch, and it has caused lots of problems. Syria is a big nation. They have grown at this time. They are attacking Israel. They have already lost part of their territory to Syria, and Ahab's father had already made some treaties with Syria to try to keep the, the enemy armies at bay, if you will. At this time, the king of Syria is also blackmailing Ahab by asking him for things like his children to be sent over and given to him. So he's taking away the princes of Israel. He's taking away the money of Israel. He's taking away Ahab's wives. He is plundering the town. Uh, he's doing all kinds of things at the threat of this mass military invasion. Syria, Syria's army vastly outnumbers Israel at about 18 to 1. So they are, they are not in a good place to try to defend themselves from Syria. In that context, let's read this story together of what happens in 1 Kings chapter 20. We're going to read together, starting at verse 13. Here's what it says. The king of Syria, by the way, his name is Ben-Hadad. 
1 Kings 20, verse 13. And behold, a prophet came near to Ahab, king of Israel, and said, Thus says the Lord, Have you seen all this great multitude? That is the big Syrian army that's coming to attack them, just a portion of it. Behold, I will give it into your hand this day, and you shall know that I am the Lord. And Ahab said, By whom? He said, Thus says the Lord, By the servants of the governors of the districts. Then he said, Who shall begin the battle? And he answered, You. Then he mustered the servants of the governors of the districts, and they were 232. And after them he mustered all the people of Israel, which was 7,000. That's the size of their army. So they have about 7,230-ish people. And they went out at noon. And while Ben-Hadad, who's the king of Syria, was drinking himself drunk in the booths, which are the tents that he has, his army is in, he and the 32 kings who helped him, the servants of the governors of the districts, they went out first, and Ben-Hadad sent out some scouts, and they reported to him, Men are coming out from Samaria. He said, If they have come out for peace, take them alive. Or if they have come out for war, take them alive. So these went out of the city, the servants of the governors of the districts and the army that followed them, and each struck down his man. The Syrians fled, and, the, and Israel pursued them. But Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, escaped on a horse with horsemen. And the king of Israel went out and struck the horses with chariots and struck the Syrians with a great blow. Then the, prophet, then the prophet came near to the king of Israel and said to him, Come, strengthen yourself, for consider well what you are to do. For in the spring the king of Syria will come up against you. And the servants of the king of Syria said to him, Their gods are the gods of the hills, and they are stronger than we. But let us fight them in the plain. And surely we shall be stronger than they. And do this, remove the kings, each from his post, and put commanders in their places. And muster an army like the army that you have lost, horse for horse and chariot for chariot. Then we will fight against them in the plain, and surely we will be stronger than they. And he listened to their voice and did so. So the scene here that we're reading is, Ben-Hadad, the king of Syria, has a little force with him that's still big, still considerable, the word of the Lord has come to Ahab, who is the evil king of Israel, and said, I'm going to give them into your hands so that you know that I'm God. Ahab says, okay. He goes out there to fight the Syrians, and they're victorious, which against all everybody's expectation. And the king of Syria rides away, and his counselors come to him and say, the problem is we fought the Israelites in the hills. Their God is the God of the mountains. He's proven that. He's stronger than us in the hills and the mountains. He's got us. If we fight him in the valleys or in the plains, surely we'll be stronger because we have way more people than them. So just replace your army. Go back to Syria. Everybody that's lost, no big deal. Replace everybody. Come back. We'll come back in the springtime, and we'll fight him in the valley, and surely we will overtake them. And so the king of Syria says, that sounds great. So he leaves, and that's where we leave the story. So where we are in this story is it's, it's mostly good, I think. It's kind of half full. Like, we won, but the prophet comes back to King Ahab and he says, hey, get ready, because in the spring they're coming back. So, you know, that's, have you ever had one of those times in your life where you're like, wow, God delivered me to here. I will be there eventually, you know. And so here's Ahab. He's like, wow, God delivered us. This is great. We did so great. And the first thing God says is, get ready. Strengthen yourself in the spring they're coming back. 
It's, it's mostly good. The Syrians are repelled for now. They're coming back in the spring. There's not a lot of time to prepare. And quite honestly, Ahab just did his best effort. Ahab's best military might just happened. So if Syria comes back in the spring strong, it's not looking great. This is not a good feel. The point of the story is not about how God protects us. It is about how God reveals himself. You know, as we read this story, it's really interesting to me that God is speaking to Ahab, who is under extreme judgment already. Just a couple chapters before this is when Elijah calls down the fire from heaven on the sacrifice to prove that God is God against all the prophets of Baal, who are Ahab's wife's personal priests. Those are the prophets of Baal. And Elijah, the fire comes down from heaven, burns up the sacrifice, if you recall. He has put all the water on it so it shouldn't even burn. And it burns up, and God shows that he's God. And Elijah, the prophet, immediately kills all these prophets of Baal, which prompts the queen of Israel, whose personal priests were just killed, to put out a mafia-style hit onto Elijah and puts a price on his head, and Elijah runs for his life. And in that context... God sends a prophet, a different prophet, to come to the king and say, you're going to be victorious against this army. I will let you know that I am God. That's, that's miraculous because the king's wife is breathing out insidious thoughts against God the whole time. It's incredible. Not only that, but God is taking a wicked king who has led all the people into idolatry, extreme idolatry, and God is still merciful to reveal himself, not just to Israel, to the king himself. You will know that I'm God through this victory. And suddenly this wicked guy, man, he's halfway there. And that's incredible because the Lord's already said that he's going to use Syria to punish Israel, which is incredible. The point of the story is not just God's protection. It's how God reveals himself because he's revealing himself everywhere. His reputation's at stake. These are his people. They're not just his people, though. They are his wayward people who have walked into terrible adultery with another God to the point where they are affecting their families, affecting their morals, affecting the way they run business, affecting how they raise their children. They have fully given themselves over into serving another God that is contrary to the creator of the world's mandate for how to live. And the Lord still gives them victory. How do you view the events in your life? Are events and circumstances just a way for God to bless you? Here comes a new challenge. It's just another way for God to bless me. You know, that's a great outlook with a very positive thought. The problem is we see in this story that God is more concerned with his own reputation sometimes than he is with our happiness. Did you know that it's possible to make happiness an idol in your life? where you put happiness above God, where you're going to sacrifice everything that you have to that idol, where if I can just be content, if I can just be happy, if I can just be comfortable, I'm willing to risk my children, I'm willing to risk my career, I'm willing to risk whatever it takes, because that goal in my life is really paramount to me. It's easy to do that. Do we look at views in our life, do we view events in our life as a way where God reveals himself to us and to others? where we can see his glory, where God uses us as vessels who will make him more glorious. Because that tends to be how he does things. 
Here's the great news, though. The great news is that even in the midst of people who have given themselves over to Baal worship, who have come against God in every way, who have publicly proclaimed their love for an idol, who have sacrificed even their children's lives in certain cases to all these other idols, God is still merciful to benefit them in this victory. That's incredible to me. When I think about the very character of God, it's amazing to see not just how he reveals himself to show his own glory, but he reveals himself as the savior, as the redeemer, as the life source, as the king of all kings who actually pulls us into relationship with himself. It's easy for us sometimes to let other things come into our view in front of God, whatever they may be, comfort, happiness, success, money, whatever. And yet God is always faithful and always kind to bring us back to relationship with himself. Let's read the rest of the story if you'll look with me in 1 Kings 20. We're going to start at verse 26. In the spring, isn't it funny how No time is lost in this story. In the spring, it's already upon us. Isn't life like that sometimes? Oh, this is coming. I hope it doesn't come. It's here. Oh, Lord. In the spring, Ben-Hadad, the king of Syria, mustered his Syrians and went up to Aphek to fight against Israel. And the people of Israel were mustered, and they were provisioned and went against them. And the people of Israel encamped before them like two little flocks of goats. But the Syrians filled the country. And the man of God came near and said to the king of Israel, Thus says the Lord, because the Syrians, now notice, not because of your faithfulness, not because you've been good enough, not because I love you, because the Syrians had said, The Lord is a God of the hills, but he is not a God of the valleys. Therefore, I will give this great multitude into your hand, and you shall know that I am the Lord. And they encamped opposite each other for seven days. Then on the seventh day, the battle joined, and the people of Israel struck down the Syrians, a hundred thousand foot soldiers in one day. How many did they muster? Do you remember from earlier in the story? 7,323. Strike down, 18 to 1, a hundred thousand foot soldiers in one day. And the rest fled into the city of Aphek, and the wall fell upon 27,000 men who were left. What story does that remind you of? Jericho. I wish that this don't, this would have made the best movie. This would have made the best, why? This is like two verses long. Where's the whole story? This had to be monumental, incredible, what God does. 18 to 1, and think about this for a minute. The Syrians' battle plan is to go into the valley and fight. If you are 18 to 1, you never go into the valley to fight. Do you know why? Because they can surround you in a heartbeat. You, got, you have no way of controlling anything. So you try to entice the enemy to come up to you in the hill where it's harder for them to get to, and hopefully you're in between two hills or cliffs that they can't get around, so they can only come at you a certain amount at a time. That's what every strategist would say anywhere. You've probably seen the movie 300. It's the same idea. Some of you are like, I don't know. But that's the idea is we want to try to constrict their numbers through the valleys and passageways and not fight them on the open ground. And for seven days, they stand opposite each other, two little flocks of goats looking at this 
huge, vast army that's in front of them and hoping, hoping that they're going to come up into the hillside. But the Syrians are not going to have it. Could you imagine being there in the Israelite army looking at absolute extinction? You're looking at your doom, and you're just hoping, just hoping that they will come up here because at least there's a chance if we can get them in the, in the passages, if we can get them in the caves, if we can get them in between the cliffs, maybe it'll hold them up enough we can run away at least, something, anything. And instead the prophet comes and says, ah, the Lord will fight for you, don't worry about it. And just the day before you went to your idol and he said nothing because they're still in the idolatry. And God doesn't say, because you've been so wonderful, I'm going to do this. Instead, he says, because they said, against my reputation, that I'm not the God of the valleys, I will show them because I'm the creator. Don't worry about it. It'll be like Jericho. And we get two verses, two verses, and it's like Jericho. That's mind-blowing, because God is so big, he only needs two verses for this. This deliverance, it's unbelievable. You understand, it's, it def- it's a miracle. It defies all logic. And we get two verses on it. And sometimes we look at the miracles in our life that are so monumental and it feels like two verses. We're like, Lord, what happened? What's going on? And here's the truth. The truth is that we have a king that's so much better than Ahab. His name is Jesus. Ahab has never... Ahab was all about idolatry. He was all about finding things that would benefit him. He was all about trying to find the easiest way. Jesus Christ revealed to us that he was the king of all kings who would come down and bring us straight into pure worship. There would be no idolatry in him. He would take a people who were not his people, a people who were his enemies, a people who were spitting at him, a people who should receive all of the vengeance of God and instead bring them into relationship with him to show them what pure love really looks like. And that love looks like taking the gallows that were meant for us as enemies of God, as those who came against the king, as those who were guilty in our own idolatry, as those who had decided that we loved our own comfort, we loved our own goals, we loved ourselves more than we would ever love him. And instead, he came up and took the punishment for us. So we look at those gallows now, empty, because Jesus Christ took the punishment for us. He, hang on the, he hung on the cross as a criminal, taking our punishment that was due us. The great news, of course, is that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. He didn't stay dead. He gave us life in himself. He brought us up into life in him. And in Jesus Christ, he has given us such peace, such life, such grace. It's unbelievable, isn't it? When I was in the military, I, I was in Iraq uh, one day, and we had to drive to another base that was far, far away. And we drove down, and we we're way south of our base, uh, hours and hours away. And we got stopped on the road because there was some suspicious vehicle in front of us, and there was another unit out there dealing with it. So we'd been there a couple hours, and we're watching, you know, and there's just this vehicle, and it's now smoking because I guess they lit it on fire. I don't know. And uh, they suspected that there was a bomb inside this vehicle on the side of the road. So the engineers came out, and they did, in fact, light the vehicle on fire. And so we could see the smoke, and we're trying to verify what's going on. And all of a sudden, that sucker blows up. I mean, it, it, was, it was a bomb. You know, it blew up. And so all of us were like, whoa! Whew, that was, dodge that bullet. Good thing we didn't drive past that thing. You know, and that lasted about 13 seconds. 
because all of a sudden stuff started falling everywhere, which were all the other bombs that didn't go off. And so right next to us, boom, here comes a big shell that's this big that you fire out of a cannon. And it's just sitting there. That every, this is what everybody did. That's it, that was the reaction, because what do you do? They were everywhere, and they didn't blow up. And they're just everywhere now. And we're hours away, behind schedule, we're supposed to be somewhere else, this is not our area. And so uh, I remember, I'll never forget, I got a call over the radio from the commander, and he said, um, drive through them. And I went, okay. And we just drove real slow through everything. And it's so funny how God sometimes there's this big explosion in our lives and things happen. And for 13 seconds, you're like, whoa, we're through it. And there's always new bombs that fall, aren't there? There's always new ones that fall. And it's health and it's family members and it's death sometimes and it's all this stuff. It's bad diagnosis. It's all that stuff. But thanks be to God, we have a king who went through it for us. He took the brunt of all the wrath so that now when all those bombs fall, we don't have to say, God is against me. We can say, Lord, you're with me. What should I do? And he takes us by the hand and he pulls us through it because he's the God of the hills and the valleys. And sometimes we're in these hilltop experiences that feel so great, and other times we're just in valleys in life. And God still walks us through. He's so good to us. He's our Lord. Praise God. I was driving with Lisa one time. We were on Highway 70 in a little Ford Focus. We're driving along, we're clipping along on Highway 70, driving, and all of a sudden, a uh, big Dodge Ram pickup. Why are Dodge Ram pickup guys the rudest guys on the road? I don't know. They are. I'm sorry. F-150 guys? No, Ford guys are more godly. Anyway, <laughs> I'm playing. So we're driving along, and this big Dodge Ram with one of those lifted trucks that's really big cut us off. And so I hit the brake, and I turned, and we started sliding. We're coming up a hill. Um, right by Zumbel, coming up that hill on Highway 70, going west toward Wentzville, where we lived at the time. And the car started spinning. And so Ford Focus, and all of a sudden we were turned around, just spinning. And I remember this moment of looking at the driver coming at us in our lane that's going the same flow as us, except we're looking at each other like, I see you, and he's like, I see you. You know, that was no good. And we kept spinning, and we somehow spun through all the traffic to the shoulder and stopped going the correct way. And we're just sitting there. And it was the same moment like the bomb. And I looked at her, and she looked at me, and I went, you okay? And she went, you okay? What happened? I said, I don't know, and, but we're here. And, and we were just on the side of the road. We're just stopped. And all the traffic's still going, and I don't think that ram even knew what happened. I, he just kept driving. And we're on top of this hill, and we're just looking around like, wow. Thank you, Jesus. That could have been so bad. It could have been so bad. You know, God is so faithful to us. Maybe you're in life right now, driving around aimlessly in an old GMC van, trying to decide, do you have enough faith? Is God really doing things? Where is he? I feel far from him. I don't know what he'll do. Maybe you are driving around and there's bombs dropping everywhere, and you are wondering if you're going to get blown up by one of them. Maybe you feel like you're spinning out of control. But God is the God of the hills and the valleys. 
He sent Jesus Christ to us and proved his love for us by dying on the cross and rising again while we were yet his enemies. He has you. He's holding you. He's not forsaking you. He won't let you go. Whether you're in a valley, whether you're on top of a hill, whether you're spinning, whether there's bombs, whatever the case, you are precious to him. Let all the idolatry go. If there's anything in your heart that you are seeking more than Christ first, let it go. If you have an old alliance in you that you're trusting that this vehicle is good enough or my work is good enough or God's going to do it because I told him to or I tithed enough last year or whatever it might be, let all those alliances go. Instead, hold on to Jesus. He's alive. He's the king of the hill. He's the king of the valley. He will see you through. And you are more precious to him. You are more precious to him than anything. Why is that? Because you are his temple. You are his reputation now. He's made you his child. He's caused you to become a new creation in himself and filled you with his spirit because he loves you. The Lord is going to see you through. Whatever comes, he is with you. Amen? Let's pray right now. We're going to pray for Victoria. We're just going to pray. We're just going to pray whatever is going on that God will be with you, whether you're in a hill or a valley. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you that you've made us precious in your sight because you love us. Thank you, Lord, that Israel encamped like two little herds of goats could somehow overtake an army that's so big. We know it's not because of their own might. It's because of you, Lord, because you deliver us in the battle. And so, Father, I pray for everyone here today who feels like they may be driving around aimlessly, anybody who's got bombs going off, anybody who's spinning out of control. Lord, I pray, God, whether in a valley or on a hilltop, wherever it is, you, O oh God, who's the creator, the sustainer, the redeemer of all mankind, you, O oh Lord, are our king. And so we come before you, Lord, for all the brokenness in our body and say, Lord, we need your healing. Lord, we need your restoration, God. Whether it's lost limbs, whether it's lost friends, whether it's lost parents, whether it's lost jobs, whatever it is, Lord, we need you in your restoration. Father, but we need you more than anything. Lord, more than we need money, more than we need healing even, Lord, we need you. And so, Father, with no idolatry, with no other alliances, we come to you, Jesus. Lord, fill us with your spirit. Lord, help us to know your hand upon us because your word says, you, O God, will fight for us. So we trust you, Lord. We trust you with all our friends in the body. We trust you with ourselves. And Lord, more than anything, we feel your hand, your protection, your love, and your grace. Thank you, Lord, for your spirit. Thank you, Lord, that you are intervening now. Lord, in all those places, in all those hills, in all those valleys, you are king. And we trust you, God. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, be blessed. And know his protection, his blessing, and his redemption this week because he is the only way, the only truth, and the only life. Amen. Be blessed. Have a great week, everybody.